It looks like it will be Obama versus McCain in November. But does Obama really have the Democratic nomination locked up? Will Hillary be his running mate? And do you agree with a poll that says a majority of Americans believe gay marriage is a private matter and shouldn't be legislated? Also, how did the Christian faith shape the Founding Fathers? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man. One December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire. We will not falter. And we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Tonight, I can stand here and say that I will be the Democratic nominee for the President of the United States of America. All right, that's Barack Obama last night in St. Paul, Minnesota, claiming the victory. And in the second segment today, we're going to talk about what an Obama presidency would mean for the United States of America. You don't want to miss that in 15 minutes. But last night, everyone expected, in fact, the Associated Press was reporting that Hillary Clinton would give some kind of concession. She did not. Listen this has carefully. been a long campaign, and I will be making no decisions tonight. <laughs> no decisions tonight. And so uh, the Obama camp apparently uh, really upset about this uh, failure to concede. And many people think this will hurt Hillary's chances to be vice president. Uh, who knows? We'll follow that. We'll see. But uh, in any case, what would an Obama presidency mean for the country? Listen to this. Whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation. All right. Well, statements like that make people uncomfortable. Now, later in the program at the half hour, uh, we have a special guest which will address that very question. Was America ever a Christian nation? Is America in any sense today a Christian nation? Jane Cook, former webmaster for President Bush, has written a book, Battlefields and Blessings, Stories of Faith and Courage from the Revolutionary War. She's going to talk about the Christian faith of the Founding Fathers and how that gave them the character to birth this nation. You don't want to miss that at the half hour. But uh, Obama um, saying uh, we're not a Christian nation. And one of the themes, I think, today that makes people think that we're not a Christian nation is certainly the slide on issues like marriage. Uh, there was a story out today in USA Today, a new poll. Six in ten Americans 
say the government should not regulate whether gays and lesbians can marry the people they choose. And, of course, on the legal front out in California, the Supreme Court has denied a request to stay its decision. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago, they legalized gay marriage, the state Supreme Court. Well, enough signatures have been gathered to put that on the ballot in November. And so um, opponents of gay marriage have said, look, wait until the election. Let the people speak. Here's the report from Jan Slezer in San Francisco. Religious, conservative, and legal groups had asked the high court to stay its order allowing same-sex marriage until after the November election. Enough signatures had been collected to allow voters to decide whether to amend the state constitution to read that marriage is only between a man and a woman. If passed, it would overrule the court's decision. The high court's denial of a stay clears the way for gays and lesbians to get married starting June 17th. Jan Sluzer, San Francisco. So I want to remind you, the people of California voted on a referendum some time ago, which uh, really did not allow for gay marriage. This court came in in disrespect to the people and said, uh, we're going to legalize gay marriage anyway. So the people have only one recourse, and that is to amend the Constitution. And they've asked respectfully that the court wait until the vote in the fall. The court says, no way. So on June 17, we're going to have gay marriage, so-called, out in California. With us to talk about this poll, this trend, is Randy Thomas. He's executive vice president of Exodus International. It's the world's largest outreach to those affected by unwanted same-sex attraction. Randy, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Randy, what's your reaction to this poll in USA Today that says uh, six out of ten Americans, and I'm going to read the quote specifically, uh, they view same-sex marriage, quote, strictly a private decision, end quote, and uh, therefore uh, the government shouldn't prohibit it. What do you think of that? Well, I think that the question is in and of itself misleading because uh, we do live in a free and tolerant society where people can... Uh, willfully choose to invest in uh, relationships that they want to. And with regard to whether it's private or not, that's up to them. What we're talking about here is marriage, though. And we're talking about marriage in the public policy sense. And they call it public policy or for, for a reason, because it's public. Uh, that affects all of us. It's not about an individual's right to invest in someone privately. That, that happens every day. We, we have that freedom. What we're talking about here is public policy, and that affects all of us. So wait a minute. Let's just be real clear on the USA Today question. Uh, the quote is, it's strictly a private decision. What you're saying is marriage, whatever kind of marriage you have, it's a public act, it's a legal act, it's a church act, it's a court act. There are witnesses. And so by definition, if they want uh, marriage, really the, the poll question is self-refuting in that regard. Exactly. I, I think it's misleading. Uh, yes. Most people are tolerant, and they would say that if a person wants to enter into any kind of, of personal relationship, they're, they're welcome to do that. But when it comes to marriage, that has been a, a long-standing social institution ever since recorded history began. Okay, Randy, let's go back to, to the news for just a moment. We've got five New York State legislatures, legislators suing the governor of New York, David Patterson, because he's moved to recognize same-sex marriages. 
Serfin Maltese, a Republican state senator from Queens, says Patterson is ignoring the legislature, a tactic suspiciously like that of his discredited predecessor, Elliot Spitzer. I respect the governor a great deal. I'm looking forward to working closely with him, and I'm hoping that... uh uh, he uh, readdresses this matter. Last month, Patterson asked state agencies to look into recognizing the rights of same-sex couples married elsewhere. Maltese says the court case the governor used as the rationale for his move is still likely to be appealed to the state's highest court. Warren Levinson, New York. Okay, Randy, I want to talk for a minute about whether this is good for society, but i got to get back to this political question first. You've got a renegade court out in California, the court. Here you have an executive... And in both cases, they seem to be circumventing the will of the people. Do you think it's important that where these measures are put to the people, there seems to be a trend against uh, so-called same-sex marriage? Exactly. I, I think this is a great civics lesson for all of, our, all of your listeners and for America in general. It is such a good thing that we do have three branches of government. And when it comes to social institutions... The lead branch should be the legislative body. However, when you have judicial activists and apparently executive activists in the mix, they are willing to, by fiat, usurp the power of the, of the voice of the people. And uh, I think that it's time for uh, Americans to, to brush up on their civics and say, you know what, I want my voice heard, I want the legislature respected, and this is not acceptable. We're talking with Randy Thomas. He's executive vice president for Exodus International. Randy, uh, this is a Christian broadcast and radio station. Uh, We believe the Bible teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman. It's a heterosexual relationship. Uh, We believe the Bible also teaches that homosexual activity is sinful. So, you know, we're very clear on that view here. But there are a lot of Americans out there saying, well, wait a minute, though. What is the government's interest? What would be the government's interest in um, prohibiting so-called homosexual marriage. Could you just make the case uh, for the government having a compelling interest in uh, restricting marriage to that relationship between a man and a woman? There are all kinds of reasons for the government to be concerned about this from a non-religious perspective. Um, There's the uh, untested social uh, social construct of of creating a motherless or fatherless home. Uh, We have study upon study that say children do best with a mother and a father in a stable relationship, in a committed lifelong relationship within the home. Children thrive under that. We don't know the long-term effects of what that would be on children without a mom or a dad. And we do know that where there is monogamous marriage as the basic social institution, the basic unit of a society, that that society has thrived and, and uh, has expanded and, and led the world. Uh, America has had the, the basic family structure for a long time. Um, that, that has been proven to be a, a, an effective uh, social institution that has degraded over the years with no-fault divorce and, and people who, who don't understand uh, the holiness and the wonderful uh, institution that marriage had, that God had designed for it to be. But our, our society is best served whenever our government protects marriage as one man, one woman for one lifetime. Randy, um, you know, the Christian message is not one of um, desperation and uh, defeat 
and uh, utter condemnation. Uh, we believe in redemption. Have you seen in your ministry people successfully come out of this lifestyle? I'm so glad you brought that up because when it's all said and done, the public po- policy battles will come and go. And what doesn't is the human soul and God's love for that person. I know for myself that 16 years ago I identified as a gay man. I was a liberal. I, I was the stereotype of, of the typical gay man. And um, I found Christ. And through um, that relationship with him and through my relationships with the body of Christ there in, in Texas, actually, I went to church in Arlington, and I, I, I've transformed. I, I'm, wow. It's not been an easy road, uh, and I'm not above temptation. I'm not perfect. But I can say that homosexuality is no longer how I identify, and it no longer determines how I behave. Jesus Christ can make the difference. He does make the difference. Randy Thomas with Exodus International. Randy, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. All right, folks. Um, Now, I'm so glad to hear Randy share that testimony. Uh, It's just the opposite of what Barack Obama has to say about this topic. In fact, I want us to hear Obama. There are some folks who, coming out of the church, uh, have you know, elevated one line in Romans uh, above the Sermon in the Mount. Well, it's funny he says coming out of the church, because you'd have to come out of the church to do that. Uh, you couldn't do it in the church, because uh, there's nothing in the Sermon on the Mount that would affirm homosexuality as a, as a lifestyle choice. And uh, it's not one sentence in Romans. It's a lengthy, multi-paragraphed argument in Romans. In fact, Paul reaches all the way back into the Old Testament to Genesis 1. And Paul says in Romans 1, 20, that homosexuality is a rejection of the created order. He says in verse 25, it's a rejection of the Creator. He goes on to say, they've left the natural use, uh, males and females, when they engage in same-sex relationships. He says this is uncleanness, it's dishonor, it's vile passions, it's error, it's a debased mind, it's not fitting. And he says there will be judgment on that kind of a life. Of course, Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus Christ can save you, can forgive you, no matter what your lifestyle that he is in the saving and the forgiving business. When we come back, we do want to look at this question, what would an Obama presidency look like? We want you to call in on that one. Later, were the founders of America Christians, deists, atheists? We'll talk to an expert. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. 
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Tonight I can stand here and say that I will be the Democratic nominee for the president of the United States of America. All right, it's safe to say that Mr. Obama is going to be the Democrat candidate. It's also safe to say that either Mr. McCain or Mr. Obama will be the next president of the United States. So we need to ask ourselves today, what would an Obama presidency look like? What would it mean for America? I'm actually going to ask you to call in 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. But I'm going to give you my take on two or three dimensions of what an Obama candidacy could mean for the United States. And I'm going to start with the positive. I want you to hang with me because it's certainly not all going to be positive. But I think there is a positive here with him as a candidate on the surface. And uh, I want to go to a cut from Jesse Jackson. It means a lot to African Americans, but let me say whites who break the cultural line and vote in transracial ways, it means a lot to them. This is a redemptive moment for all of America. All right, so Jesse Jackson believes this could be a redemptive moment. Why? Because we have this ugly scar of slavery and racism. And let me just say, say to you, all other things being equal... Electing a black man as president of the United States would be a great thing for the United States of America. It would show that we've moved beyond slavery and racism and prejudice. It would be a very good thing, all other things being equal. Unfortunately, they're not all equal. Uh, But others talked about the race issue. Here's Tom Harkin. We believe that a President Barack Obama will be just what this country needs to unify us, bring us together, change the direction of our country, and provide a better future for all of our people. Well, I'm not sure he'd provide a better future, but he's saying this could bring us together. And I think he's talking about the racial issue. Now, Joe Biden got a little ridiculous on this, but we need to remember what he said. I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and... And, and clean, nice-looking guy. I mean, well, that's enough of that. But he said the first mainstream, clean, articulate. So, but that fed the stereotype uh, of racism, really. But I think what this shows is if Obama could be elected uh, on the surface, this could be good for the race divide in America. And let me just say, as a Christian, there's no room for racism. I was out at a barber shop in Rockwell some time ago, and um, I heard some guys coming in. They were Democrats. They were talking about Hillary. They were talking about Obama. They were for Hillary. And one of them said, well, I ain't voting for no blank as a president. He used a racial slur. A few minutes later, he was talking about uh, the sermon at the Baptist church and how good it was last Sunday. He was definitely uh, going to church. Well, there's a good bit of hypocrisy there, because if we're Christians and we believe the Bible, there's no room for racism. In fact, Paul says in Acts 17:26. He has made from one blood every ethnos, every nation of men, to dwell upon the earth. So we all came from that original man, Adam. We're also all descendants of Noah. So essentially, we've come from that same bloodline. And of course, we know Paul says in Galatians, there's no bond or free, no Jew or Greek in Christ, no room for racism in Christianity. And certainly in the end, Revelation 5, 9 
Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made us kings and priests to our God. When we get to heaven, there'll be no um, racism there. There'll be different races, but we'll be equal before the throne and before the Lamb. Well, that's the Christian worldview when it comes to race. And Obama, as a black man, could be good for America, all other things being equal. Uh, Unfortunately, they're not all equal. And we want to ask you that question, what would an Obama presidency mean for America? Now, let me tell you, uh, call us 800-881-9270 if you want to comment on that question. What would an Obama presidency mean for the country? Because there are problems. Now, let me say, Obama began to do something today that he has to do if he's going to have a chance, and that is move to the right. Move to the right as quickly as possible. And he's done that on the Israel Iran issue. And I want you to hear Obama today speaking to Jewish leaders who were backing Hillary Clinton and assuring them he's going to be against Iran and for Israel. Strengthened its position. Iran is now enriching uranium, and it has reportedly stockpiled 150 kilos of low enriched uranium. Its support for terrorism and threats towards Israel have increased. Those are the facts. And they cannot be denied. And I refuse to continue a policy that has made the United States and Israel less secure. All right. This is really funny because he did none of this talk during the primary. He was always talking to liberals. But now he's moving to the right because he is the candidate and he needs to compete with McCain. McCain, very pro-Israel. And uh, here's Obama again speaking to Jews today. We cannot relent. We cannot yield. And as president, I will never compromise when it comes to Israel's security. All right. Well, if he follows through on that, that is a good thing. Uh, But he has definitely moved to the right here. I listen very carefully to the speech. If you read it or listen carefully to it, you'll see in places a kind of moral equivalency between the Palestinian terrorist and the Jews in Israel. I was concerned about that. And also, even though he hyped up the threat of Iran, uh, again, he wants to sit down and negotiate uh, with these terrorists. I have problems with that. But he's moving to the right, and he wants to compete with McCain. The question is, what kind of presidency would we have with Barack Obama? 800-881-9270. Let's go to Bob on the line. Bob, what do you think Obama would mean as president of the United States? Well, first of all, Obama, I see him as a phony and a hypocrite because I see him as uh, taking away our ability in the church to uh, preach godly and uh, conservative uh, issues that, against the gay uh, marriages and uh, that kind of stuff because uh, when he left the church, he said that he was leaving the church membership, but he wouldn't announce the church. That'd be like us as a Christian, when we uh, become a Christian, uh, if we were involved with uh, alcoholism, drug abuse, or pornography, we'd say, I'm becoming a Christian, but I can't denounce the life I used to live in as a uh, uh, pervert, as an alcoholic. I'm still going to become, leave, I'm still going to be an alcoholic, even though I'm a Christian. Thanks, Bob, for that comment. Uh, we're really asking folks, what an Obama presidency would mean for the United States. I'm not done yet, but I'm asking for your input. We've got Aldo from Wiley. Aldo, what do you think? Uh, well, I, I think that the Obama change would actually be a, a, a positive change for America because uh, the, the Bush administration has just made a, a ton of mistakes. And, uh, you know, even though Bush, you know, was a Christian leader, 
or at least he claimed to be a Christian leader. Um, but I don't really, you know, believe that he was 100% Christian. You know, I saw many things. Although, let me ask really... you this, though, because you mentioned uh, Christianity. Is being pro-life, protecting the unborn human being in the womb, is that a Christian position? And if so, that is Bush's position. It is not Obama's position. How do you deal with that dilemma? Well, I mean, I think, you know, if we're going to talk about life, we should talk about all kinds of life, not just like unborn child. You know, the people that are dying in Iraq and the people that are dying in the war, their lives, you know, mm-hmm. those Iraqi children, their lives, you know, count too. But uh, Saddam Hussein was slaughtering thousands of innocent people, and we've been fighting the evildoers. We've been fighting the terrorists. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, okay, you know, whatever... The, the reason for going to Iraq was weapons of mass destruction, which, which, you know, were not found ever. Well, it was one of the reasons, but he had already used weapons of mass destruction. He had violated the no-fly zone. He had gassed his own people. He had flouted 17 U.N. resolutions. He tried to assassinate the first President Bush. So uh, there were many reasons to do it. And uh, we're going to move on to the next caller, but thank you, Aldo, for calling. We've got Teresa on the line from Mesquite. Teresa, what do you think of an Obama presidency? frightens me to death to think about him being in office and running the United States. Um, the one caller back mentioned that he was a um, black man that would be representing, and he's articulate and personable and so forth. Right. I agree, he is, but I think that's irrelevant. The fact that his position on defending this country and eliminating so much of our defenses scares me to death. And um, the fact that he said that we are no longer a Christian nation offends me beyond belief. Yeah, I mean, even if you could say that academically because of statistics, uh, to be so insensitive as to say it out loud like that and so brazen, um, that to me is, um, that is spooky. Uh, I want to tell you uh, the reason I think the Obama presidency is uh, so dangerous, it's going to be extremely dangerous for those innocent children in the womb. Now, here's Barack Obama speaking to Planned Parenthood, the number one abortion provider in the country. With one more vacancy on the court, we could be looking at a majority hostile to a woman's fundamental right to choose for the first time since Roe versus Wade. And that is what is at stake in this election. In his own words, that is what is at stake. The Supreme Court, Roe versus Wade, the law that allows the killing of innocent babies in the womb. And uh, it is a total refutation of um, the, the argument for a black man being president of the United States as a healing to America. It was... Um, the devaluation of human life in slavery, the violation, really, of the Declaration of Independence, that everyone is created equal in God's image with a right to life that's inalienable. It's that same denial of human life, human rights, in abortion that you saw with the slavery issue. Obama just doesn't get it. He is denying the fundamental declaration, right to life, to these unborn children. That is wrong. And an Obama presidency, for that reason, would be very bad for the United States of America. Well, when we come back, were the founders Christian? We'll talk with an expert about it.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation. All right, that's Barack Obama. He is the Democrat candidate for president of the United States. And he is saying, well, maybe, maybe we were once a Christian nation, but we're not anymore. And uh, how do you feel about that? It's very common for people to say, well, the founding fathers were deist or atheist. They weren't really Christians or they were fake Christians, uh, something like that. Uh, We're going to talk about this. Were the founding fathers, Washington, Jefferson, Adams, um, Franklin, what were these people like? Um, what was their faith? Uh, I want you to listen to George Washington in his orders to the troops in 1776. The blessing and protection of heaven are at all times necessary, but especially so in times of public distress and danger. The general hopes and trusts that every officer and man will endeavor so to live and act as becomes a Christian soldier, defending the dearest rights and liberties of his country. All right, sounds like a good bit of Christianity there, at least uh, as George Washington would understand it. Uh, With us to talk about it is a very special guest, and um, she has uh, been the former webmaster for President Bush. Her name is Jane Hampton Cook. She's written the book, Battlefields and Blessings, Stories of Faith and Courage from the Revolutionary War. Jane, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Jane, this is a beautiful book. I took a look at it last night and again today. Uh, I want our people to know about it. You've got really 365. They, they're like daily devotionals. Um, but it also reads as a novel. I mean, you're really recounting the Revolutionary War period from beginning to end. Uh, there's a prayer at the end of each uh, day or each devotional. It's, uh, it's fascinating. What's your reaction to that Washington prayer, uh, which was read by Larry Williams here? Well, you know, that certainly seems very um, consistent with Washington. He, I think, had a really good big-picture perspective throughout his life. He had a you know, near-death experience when he was about 22, fighting for the British in the uh, French and Indian War. There were four bullets that went through his coat. And he Monongahela, right? At the Battle unhurt. of Monongahela. He really gave Providence credit for that. And Providence didn't mean good luck. It meant God's presence. Mm. And I think that that's what distinguishes Washington. He's really kept his eye on the big picture and God's intervention in his own life personally and in the greater cause for liberty. Now, we're coming up on Father's Day, and Washington never had a child. He's called the father of our country. But uh, you make the case that he does provide a role model for fathers today. He does. He had several. Of course, he was a father to Martha's children from her um first marriage that ended in her first husband's death. But he had a very fatherly-like relationship with several of his generals. He had um, Lafayette, was a Frenchman, 19 years old, came over to fight to, as a volunteer, and Washington mm-hmm. kind of took him in as his own son. He even told him that he loved him as his own son, and he nurtured him and watched him grow throughout the war and develop his skills as a leader. You know, And he also had that relationship, I think, with Henry Knox. 
He was also a young guy, and he put a lot of trust in Henry Knox early on in the war. And Knox became his his uh, commander of artillery, and later his general and secretary of war. And so I think, you know, Washington really did. He had that tenderness. He had that trust that you would put that a father puts in his son. He wanted to see them grow and mature. And then there was one fella, Nathaniel Green, that he put so much trust in that he decided that if he died on the battlefield, he'd be in Washington. He wanted Nathaniel Green to take over because I think he saw some of the modesty and humility, yet practicality in Nathaniel Green that I think he felt like were his best strengths himself. Our guest is Jane Hampton Cook. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Jane has written the book Battlefields and Blessings, Stories of Faith and Courage from the Revolutionary War. Jane, one of the things that happens when you write a book is you always learn something new. And uh, I would like to ask you, what was the biggest surprise, the greatest surprise for you about the Founding Fathers as you did the research for this book? You know, it's really, that's a tough question to answer, but I think I was really surprised at how many miracles there were throughout the war. Wow. You know, that I saw secular historians from the 1800s document as this was from God. That they, you know, there was a fog that covered Washington's army as they were retreating from Long Island to Manhattan in 1776. And it was kind of a mysterious fog that just sort of appeared, and it really protected them. And there was a Quaker woman who overheard a conversation between some British officers, and she went and she warned Washington of a surprise attack just outside of Philadelphia. And there were three generals who tried to take over Washington's job throughout the war, and all of their efforts failed. And Benedict Arnold's treason was caught in just the nick of time. And I think I was just amazed at how many times it could have all been over in just one with one mistake or one fatal swoop. And yet, and you know, and Washington at the end of the war called the preservation of the United States armies as nothing short of a standing miracle from Providence. And so he really, you know, had that big picture perspective. And he saw, he said, you know, even the most unobservant among you can't help but notice that God has intervened here. And I think that really surprised me. I just didn't expect to see that from secular historians from that time period. Again, this is Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest, Jane Hampton Cook. She's written the book, Battlefields and Blessings. It's a book with 365 chapters or daily readings with prayers, but it's a history book on major figures in the American Revolutionary period. Uh, Jane, tell us some of the other uh, people that you cover in the book. Well, I cover some little-known people, I guess you could say. Um, John Trumbull was a young guy who was the son of the Connecticut governor, Jonathan Trumbull. And Jonathan Trumbull and George Washington were good friends. In fact, Connecticut Governor Trumbull wrote George Washington a letter quoting Joshua 1-9, Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And his son John was at Newport, the Battle of Newport, which had to be abandoned. The land attack had to be abandoned. And during the day, Trumbull has lost his hat. He has to put a white handkerchief on his head, which makes him an even greater target um, than before, just that white color against this bright blue sky. And at the end of the day, when he realizes that he survived, because he saw several who didn't survive right in front of him, he quotes Psalm 147. You know, I thank you, O Lord, for you have covered my head in the day of battle. So those are some stories that you get, just a snippet. And John Trumbull went on to become the painter of the Revolution. His murals Mm -hmm. of Washington at Yorktown are on display in the rotunda of the Capitol. And so you get to see some insight from from some people you probably haven't heard of. Jane, you worked uh, with President Bush in in the office uh, there at the White House. Uh, I'm interested in how... George Washington's leadership compares to 
George Bush's leadership. Also, the candidates now are down to McCain and Obama. Any insights there? Well, I think as far as our current president is concerned, one thing that you know we, we forget, George Washington didn't know how the story was going to end when he was living his life, just like we don't know how our stories are going to end. He didn't know, and he made the best decisions he could, responding to the facts on the ground, making practical decisions, whether it was time to retreat or go forward with an offensive move. And I think that's what the current president, George W. Bush, has done to the best of his ability in his role as, as president, is responding and making the best decisions he can, keeping his eye on the big picture. And I think our current candidates is kind of interesting. One thing that when George Washington was nominated to be commander-in-chief, John Adams nominated him, and he said, you know, it's his experience, his talents, and his universal character that can bring us together as American colonies. And I think you look at John McCain, I think you have to give him the experience factor. Mm. He's 24 years in the Senate. Um, Senator Obama has four, but I think you have to give Obama the the persuasion factor. Yes, certainly George Washington was quite persuasive and quite charismatic, and I think you have to give that that credit to Obama. So I think that's where they have some similarities. Thanks for that wrap-up. Jane Cook, she's written the book Battlefields and Blessings. I highly recommend it. Jane, we hope to have you on again soon. Great. Thank you very much. Folks, I think it would be appropriate here to listen once again to the Declaration of Independence, and we're going to contrast that to Obama's vision in the fourth segment. Listen now. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth a separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the rights of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for lights and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor.
If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture in the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation. Are you comfortable with that kind of statement? That's Barack Obama today. He is the Democrat candidate for president of the United States. You might say, well, that's academically a truism, but uh, you're not comfortable with the way that sounds. Someone getting up and saying, we are not a Christian nation. Now, I want to be fair with Mr. Obama, and I want to play the long version of it. In the long version of it, he sort of explains himself, and some of the things he says are true, But I have problems with some of these things as well. Here's Barack Obama on why we are not or should not be a Christian nation. Whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. And even if we did have only Christians in our midst, if we expelled every non-Christian from the United States of America, whose Christianity would we teach in the schools? All right, a lot of red herrings, a lot of straw men there, some truth, but a good bit of error. And uh, I want to talk about where Mr. Obama goes wrong here. We're talking about what would an Obama presidency look like for the United States of America. And all these themes are interconnected because he says we're not a Christian nation and we're just as much a Hindu or a Muslim or non-believers. He, 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 he makes a moral equivalency between Christianity and Hinduism and Islam and even atheism. And we just heard the Declaration of Independence read. Now, let me just say this. The Declaration of Independence, I think, is the birth certificate for America. And the Declaration says this. These truths are self-evident. They're presuppositions for America. They're first principles for America. They're obvious to every American. All men created equal endowed by the Creator. These rights come from the Creator, endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, the right to life, the right to liberty, the pursuit of happiness. The American argument, the Declaration argument, is that God 
has created a sequel. God gives us a right to life and freedom, not the government. And this was a revolutionary idea. That's why it was a revolution. Because the French model, the British model, the other European models would say that the state gives these rights, or the king gives these rights, or in France, the people give these rights. But it was in America that we said, no, these rights come from God. Government doesn't give them. Therefore, government cannot take them away. Let me just say something about the right to liberty. I mean, this is, again, where the Obama presidency would send a great message when you look at America's past, because the Constitution did not live up to the Declaration. The Constitution allowed slavery. The Constitution did not even count black people or slaves as um, full citizens. The Constitution accommodated slavery and prejudice. But it's the Declaration that says all men are created equal. They're endowed by the Creator with these rights. They're unalienable. They can't be given or taken away. Among these, the right to liberty. Well, that means freedom for the slave. And that means equality for the black man and the black woman. And the Obama presidency would be the realization, it would be the realization of that dream in the Declaration. But let me say, where uh, Obama would send a message on that point in the Declaration, he would totally nullify it on the other two points. The Declaration says, All men are created equal and endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these, the right to life. It's not just liberty, but it's life itself. And Obama is not willing to stand up for the sanctity of innocent human life. He is pro-abortion, pro-choice to the hilt, even to the point where he voted against a ban on partial birth abortion. He voted against the Infants Born Alive Act. And he is the most liberal senator in the U.S. Senate, especially on this issue. He fails the declaration test. And what about the pursuit of happiness? The liberal agenda, the big government agenda, is not the pursuit of happiness agenda. Well, what is that all about? Does the government guarantee happiness? No. The pursuit of happiness, meaning economic freedom, freedom to, pick, uh, to make your own way, to choose your own uh, situation. And uh, the big government program proposed by Obama is the nanny state providing solutions for every area of life. There's no pursuit of happiness. The government just owes it to you. That's wrong. Now, let's go back and talk about Obama and him saying, well, this is not a Christian nation. And he says, what about the Hindu nation? What about the Muslim nation? What about the non-believer nation? Well, let me just tell you, there is a difference. Now, we're not saying everybody in America has to be Christian. We're not saying it's the official religion of the country. But America was founded from the Christian worldview, and it does presuppose certain rights, as you find in the Declaration. I'm going to tell you, a government that is founded, a culture founded upon the Hindu worldview, will not respect the sanctity of human life. This is why Mother Teresa was a shining light in Calcutta, because Hindus do not believe that human life is special or sacred. In fact, they won't kill the cows. They might, you might be reincarnated. You might be killing a relative. 
Uh, in the Hindu worldview, there's no special place for the human race. I'll tell you, these governments founded on the Muslim or Islamic worldview aren't very good either. Uh, there's no freedom for women. There's no freedom for those in other religions. And um, you do not want to live in a country that operates according to Sharia law. I can guarantee you that. And we've already seen two countries founded on the, he says, the non-believers, the atheistic worldview. Do you want to live in China? Do you want to live in Russia, uh, the old Soviet Union? Uh, there's no freedom of religion, no freedom of the press, and the state is all-powerful. Well, let me say finally, where the liberal really gets it wrong on the pursuit of happiness, the government cannot give happiness. As Christians, we know that... Um, Really, it's not happiness we're looking for, and it's joy. It's joy that you need. And uh, Jesus said in John 10.10, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly and to the full. Uh, the real fulfillment in life doesn't come from government. It comes from God. Pascal said there's a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. That's why you need to come to Jesus and not look to the government for happiness. Well, tomorrow... Ian Murray, global warming expert, will be on the program to talk about the Senate bill. Everyone's pushing it. Everyone's talking about it. A global warming bill. You'll hear the truth tomorrow on Jerry Johnson Live. I'll join you then. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.